welcome you to the Sunday School of the Air. We're so glad that you're with us here in the classroom and those listening by way of radio and television. We greet you in the name of our Savior. Some people may miss the fact that this is an actual class here in the auditorium of Glen Iris Baptist Church. We have to coming today to teach us, and for the next few Sundays, Dr. John Talley. And to many of you in our audience, he's no stranger here to our church here at Glen Iris. He was a member here. But to many of you in the audience, you'll know his name uh, as being the longtime uh, president of Southeastern Bible College. He is a noted Bible teacher, seminary professor, and a college president. He's first and foremost a dear follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and an ardent student of the Word and loves to teach it. And so it's our privilege to have him as our teacher. And Dr. John Talley, I'm going to turn the class over to you, and you tell him the text, and you just go right ahead. God bless you, my brother. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning, class. It's good to be with you. I hope for me sitting behind a desk is not going to be an issue with you, but uh, that will reserve some of my strength so that I can go to the next hour. Uh, pray for me during these uh, particular days. My wife is down in Florida to see her brother, so I'm by myself, and you need to feel sorry for me, okay? <laughs> uh, I want to share with you the next four Sundays. Uh, we're giving it a test run, and uh, Pastor and I discuss what we might uh, address as a subject. And for over uh, 18 months, back a few years ago, I traveled around the world and taught at various field conferences for biblical ministries worldwide and taught a series on prayer uh, to the missionaries as ongoing education. And uh, we ministered to uh, missionaries from 40 different nations of the world. It, it was amazing opportunity that the Lord gave us. We've also done it in about three or four churches here in the city. We've also done it in Kansas. We did a round robin, if you know what that means, up in uh, Pennsylvania, a number of other places. And uh, it's a joy for me to be able to share with you as well. Pastor said, I love to teach, and I do. It's, it's just thrilling. It's who I am. When you're gifted and uh, the, the Lord has enabled you to function in whatever area, just like with you, you love when you get the opportunity to use that gift or gifts. And so that's where we are this morning. Uh, but we are very grateful for the pastor giving us the opportunity. Now, I'm going to do some preliminary things this morning. And what I'm going to cover on the subject of prayer is going to be a review for some of you. But in every audience, there are always people who do not have the same level of comprehension in a biblical subject as others. So I am going to try to address this time and for a little part of next Sunday, uh, something of the preliminaries and the foundational principles. And you say, well, I know that. This is no big deal. Well, as time goes on, I do believe I can contribute to your understanding of prayer. Now, further uh, preliminaries. There are 650 prayers in the Bible. Now, that's according to all kinds of different sources. I haven't personally tried to go through and find them, but there are 650. There are 130 of them in the New Testament, 
And it's estimated that Paul, depending on whether you count some of those prayers as prayers or just narrative or instruction, uh, there are 38 Pauline prayers in the New Testament. Now make this observation. If it's that many prayers in the Bible, and the Bible is for our instruction, then we need to study the word to see what instruction he has to give to us about how to pray. Amen? So that's going to be our, our attempt. Now the other thing I want to say to you as we, as we deal with the subject is that the priority of prayer is something we've got to keep in mind in our lives. The priority of prayer. We talk about it. We think about it as being important. And we ask people to pray for us. And we commit ourselves to pray for other people. But I can guarantee you that people don't always fulfill that promise. And uh, so we need to take more seriously this ministry we call prayer. One of the priorities or foundations, at least for me, of the significance and priority of prayer is that if you study history, and I love history and so does pastor, uh, you will discover that the spiritual leaders down through the ages were men who practiced prayer. It was a priority in their ministry. And I just want to list a couple of them for you. Let's talk about John Wesley, for example. John Wesley was a great evangelist and Bible teacher in England. And when I was in England the last time, I got to go to his church. And I got to go into his house. And a little primitive uh, Methodist gal that was our tour guide took us upstairs into a bedroom which was simply a single bed in there. But the thing that caught my attention, that was his uh, uh, bedroom, Wesley's bedroom. But the thing that caught my attention, child of God, was there was a section cut out of the wall, an extension made on the house. It was about four by four, something like that. And that was Wesley's private prayer closet. Now, in all the books that I've read, he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. The little primitive Methodist lady said, that's not correct. He got up at 4.15. Okay? So he was a man of prayer. John Wesley. So popular that his grave is out behind the church in a little courtyard, maybe a third the size of this auditorium. And they had a funeral for him in the morning around 5, 5.30, whatever it was. And they didn't announce it because the place would have been overrun with people. That's how God had used that man. But it was based on priority of prayer. Am I making sense? Then Luther. Listen to Luther, the founder of the Reformation. It says, if I fail to spend Two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. Now compare that to your prayer time. How much time do you spend with the Lord? Luther says, if I don't spend two, the devil gets the victory. Then there's another statement he made. I have so much business, 
I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Now, we would say just the opposite. And many preachers are not prioritizing prayer because they have so many things to do. Luther thought just the reverse. I have so many things to do. I've got to spend at least three hours in prayer. Samuel Rutherford, a revivalist in England, started praying at 3 o'clock in the morning. Hudson Taylor prayed between the hours of 2 and 4 every morning. His answer for when the question is asked, why do you do that? So I won't be interrupted. Two to four hours in prayer. George Mueller, all of us have heard him, how he prayed to feed the 2,200 orphans that he had or on a regular basis. But pastor will be interested in this important one to me, and that's Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a tremendous pastor, prince of preachers, they called him, in London. One day, a mutual preacher friend, uh, Moody, was in England. And they asked him this question, have you ever heard Spurgeon preach? His answer was, yes, I've heard him preach. And I want to make that sure I say the quote just right. Moody said, when asked if he heard Spurgeon preach, replied, yes, but better still, I've heard him pray. Prayer is a priority. How do we know? All the great spiritual leaders down through the years use prayer ministry to extend their ministry in the Word. Now, the other priority I want to say, that's experiential, that's historical. But biblically, we also have a priority. When you go to the various scriptures, I'm going to just give you a couple, quote a little bit of it, not going to turn to them, I want you to turn a little later. But the priority prayer in scripture Acts chapter 6. Remember when they picked those deacons, we call them? I assume that's what they were. They said, we want to give ourselves, we want to devote ourselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. The apostles thought prayer was a priority. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray constantly without ceasing. That's the idea. Colossians 4 and verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer with vigilance. Now, that's important, child of God, because if you spend any time in prayer at all, you'll find out your mind will stop, uh, start wandering, and the devil will bring things to your mind. Oh, I've got to do this or whatever. And I want to tell you what I do. I don't have it in this Bible, but I, in my study Bible at home, my devotional time, I have one of those little sticky pads. They're yellow right now. And every time one of those thoughts come in my mind, instead of trying to push it away and forget it, I make it a little note on the sticky pad and leave it in my Bible. Then I go on. It's a little trick of the trade. But he said, be vigilant. And then Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Don't be anxious or worrying about anything, but make your request known unto God. Amen? That's the priority of prayer. Now, with that in mind, I want you to go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. And we're going to look at some passages this morning 
that I think will lay a good foundation for where we're going. First Timothy chapter two and verse one. And I made myself a sticky pad note. Folks, please bring your Bible with you to class. I want to teach you some biblical uh, concepts, but I also want you to have biblical foundations of those concepts. It's one thing to say the Bible says. Question, where does it say that? Can you verify that what you say about prayer is true? So I want you to look it up. And I also would encourage you to take notes so that you can, in the future, go back and look at some of these things. I teach it all the time, and yet I still review to remind myself so that I don't uh, forget what the Bible says. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we have one of two passages. Now, look up here. There's one, this is one of two passages. People have all kinds of little tricks and ways to remember what are the different kinds of prayer. There are one, two, three, four, five different kinds of prayer. Everything else fits under those five. But there are two passages. First, Thess- First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and the other one is 1 John 1, 9. When you've got those two passages... You have the major prayers in the Bible. Okay? Now let's look at it. Look at Timothy 2.1. Notice what it says. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, give high priority to this, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. See that? One, two, three, four. Four different kinds of prayers. Supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving and thanks be made for all men. Now, let's look at those. And by the way, I'm going to have to drink water. I take all kinds of medication. I think it's 13 pills in the morning. And uh, my mouth is already dry. So don't worry about it, okay? The first one he mentions, child of God, is supplication. Now, supplication is, by definition... Easy to remember. Look at the word. Supply is the first part of the word. Supplication is asking God to supply our needs. Got it? Now, in Philippians 4.19, we're not going to turn to it. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Another principle, James chapter 2. You don't have it because you don't ask for it. And so we need to practice the prayer supplication, supplicational prayers. And by the way, some people say, well, you ought not to ask God for things right out of the gate. Well, I understand that, and I don't know that I disagree with it. I'm simply saying when Paul starts listening, guess which one he lists first, okay? So I'd be a little careful about how we prioritize in order of the prayers. So this one is, we are to ask God to supply our needs. Now, let me give you just a kind of an example. Uh, my wife and I, when we got married, we were planning on going to the mission field. We were absolutely committed. As a matter of fact, we were going to Italy, and I was going to teach in the Bible Institute just south of Rome. 
all the way through my education at Grace Seminary in Indiana, that's what we were thought we were going to do. We went to Bible Institute down in Miami, went to Southeastern, both of us graduates from there. Then we went to Grace Seminary. The last missions conference that I was going to attend as a student at Grace, my wife and I were expecting God to verify finally and for sure, no questions asked, this is where we're going to go. I went to the conference, got absolutely no direction from the Lord. I was like a whip pup when I went home for lunch, a little doggy with his tail between his legs. I was devastated. God, where are you? Have, how come you haven't given us direction? Now, that's supplication. God, help me to know where I'm supposed to go. Amen? Now, I was walking out of the auditorium after the last session. And one of my professors said, please, audience, give me your attention just for a second. There is a man here from Great Lakes Naval Academy. And he wants to talk to anybody that would be interested in military chaplaincy. I just kept right on going. You see, I went to a military school. And I had an appointment, supposedly, to either West Point or Annapolis. Went and visited them both. Thought I was going to West Point. I was going to be a military policeman ad infinitum. That was my life until I got saved. But here I had turned my back on the military because I was going to be a missionary and go into the military. I even told the commandant at the military school, said, sir, I'm not, I'm not going to go to West Point. Why? Well, I'm going in the Lord's Army. And he said, what army? You know, he didn't understand at all. But the, the bottom line was I told my wife about it, and we had already agreed, listen, I'm not going back to the military. Fine. I go back to my class, and child of God, guess who my professor invited to speak in my homiletics class? For an entire class hour, I had to listen to this man talk about going into chaplaincy. Now, my Lord, uh, my wife had a little bit of a struggle. It took about three weeks before my little wifey to say, "Okay." Uh, honey, if that's what the Lord wants you to do, uh, let's do it. But see, that's supplication. God, give me direction. Amen? And, and you need direction. How to buy, which house to buy? What job are you going to take? How am I going to uh, uh, minister to my kids? Or how am I going to handle cancer like I've got or Terry's got? How do we handle that? Lord, give us the ability. Supply us. With that need. Amen. Now there's a second kind of prayer. It's mentioned here in the text. Notice supplication and prayers. Now. If you would go over. Well let's do it. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 18. And I want you to look at it. Because it's interesting. What you see in the English text. And that's not bemoaning the English text. You're just saying if you know something about the religion, uh, the original languages of the Bible, sometimes you get a heads up that you wouldn't get any other way. You with me? Now, here it is. 
Look at it, verse uh, 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. 618, notice, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Praying with all prayer. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to pray some kind of rote prayer? No, it's not at all. The word there that is used is prosukas. Prosukas. It doesn't mean anything to you other than to say, I know what the Greek word is. And what I'm telling you is true. When you see this word prosukas throughout the New Testament, you've always got to look at the context. Because this word can mean supplication. We know it doesn't mean supplication in this verse. Because it already mentions supplication in the verse. So prosukas has to mean something else. It can mean adoration uh, as well as supplication. Uh, My Greek teacher at Grace Seminary, Dr. Homer Kent, said, this is a word for worship in prayer. Okay? So when you list this one in Ephesians, uh, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 1, I want you to remember that it means adoration in some places. It means to worship God in prayer. And that's the context here. How do we know that? Because he mentions supplication previously. See it? He says, I exhort, first of all, that supplication and prayers... Intercession, give me a thing. Look at that word there is used as a word of adoration. Everybody with me? That's, in other words, we need to worship God in our prayer time. And there are many days, can I just tell you this? When I spend more t- time worshiping the Lord before I ever get to, my, to a praying and intercession and supplication and so on, because he's a great God. Amen. And he needs to be worshipped. And I catch myself sometimes with a cold heart. And I have to stop and say, Lord, i got to worship you. And I start quoting verses to him that talk about how great he is. The Lord is a great God, great king above all gods. See, that kind of thing. That's who you are, Lord. I worship you today. That's the second one. The third one is intercession. Look at it. Intercession. Now, all of us know when we hear the word intercession, we are talking about praying on behalf of other people. Not, not supplication, but intercession. Now, what is that, that word intercession in this text? Let me illustrate. In the military, when a general has one, two, three, four stars His rank, the number of stars he has that indicates his rank, indicates what kind of rank his general's aide has to be. Okay? It can be all the way from a a uh, pre-field grade, like a captain or a lieutenant, all the way up to a full bird colonel dorm. An aide. Now, what is that? That is somebody that works for the general He might pour his water for a bath in the morning. He might press his uh, britches. He might shine his boots. He might fix his uh, meal for him. Whatever that general wants, that's what the general aides does. Well, back in antiquity, child of God, listen to me now. In antiquity, the king had an aide. 
he was called the intercessor. Now, the reason why that happened and we get our definition from it is this. The king's aide, his intercessor, was a commoner. And so people out in the community knew the general's aide. Okay? And they finally caught on and say, whoa, our friend has an intimate kind of relationship with the king. Let's get him to talk to the king about our needs. Intercessor. Remember Esther? That's what she did. Intercessor. So we can pray uh, for other people in their prayer requests. We become an intercessor for that person. Amen? With me? Now, I've had many a person come to me when I was working out in the secular world. They used to call me deacon, preacher. Some of you other folks have had that kind of experience as well. But, and they, they meant it in a, in a way that maybe is derogatory sometimes. But when they get sick or they got a problem, they know who they're going to go to because they know they've been teasing you about who you are, but they need your help. Amen? That's an intercessor. Another one. Look at the text. Supplications, prayers, intercessors, giving thanks. See it? Giving of thanks. We need to worship God by giving him thanks. Uh, Let me have you turn to a passage with me. Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and verse 15. Hebrews. Chapter 13 and verse 15. That passage will tell us a little bit about how uh, to worship God. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices. Well, we have sacrifices in the New Testament too. Uh, and notice verse 15. Notice what it says. By him, that is by Christ, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Worship. Adoration. That is, clarifying now, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks in the Greek New Testament is homologeo, which means to say the same thing. In other words, to express to God who he is. We agree with what the Bible says about you, Lord. See? And I thank you for who you are and what you do. Amen? It's, it's important that we learn to do that and practice it. And then the final one, and I want you to turn to it with me. We said there are two passages that help you to know the five different kinds of prayer. The second passage after 1 Timothy 2.1 is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And I think most in this auditorium will know this passage. But here it is. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice, if we confess, he will be faithful to forgive us our sins. Now, we all are dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. That's what I used to tell my college students all the time. You're dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. 
And he even gave me a T-shirt one time. It said, dirty, rotten, stinking sinner with a point up to me. You know, that's fine. They got the point. Amen. And what are we supposed to do? If we're going to have a relationship with God, sin will short circuit it if we're not careful. So we need to confess that sin. Amen. Confess it. That's the word homologeo to say the same thing about our sin that God says in his word about it, our sin in our life. But I want you to notice something else. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Look at that word, just. He is just in doing it. I want to illustrate how that works. Uh, when I was at Fort Lee, Virginia, after I came back from Vietnam, I was stationed with the 544th S&S Battalion. It was called Service and Supply. And one of the couples, uh, he was a captain like I was, and we became close friends. African-American couple. Tippy, I don't even know what Tippy's first name was. We just call him Tippy. It just dawned on me a few years ago. I don't know what his real name is. Tippy Holloway. And his wife's name was Ella. We became very close. They lived just about a block down from us in officers' quarters. She had twin little girls and was struggling. And so Betty would go every day and help her with meals and taking care of the kids. And then when our son died, uh, after Agent Orange exposed her, I fathered a son uh, that only lived one day. So we actually, we talk about our three sons, but we actually have four. One's buried in Petersburg in Virginia. But we're so close. And my wife one day, she's not here to defend herself. But one day she was on post. She was driving from the commissary down to our quarters. And there was a steep hill. Military police do not have the restrictions on them that civilian uh, policemen do. He had a car parked in the bushes at the bottom of that hill. You had to ride the brake all the way down to go to speed limit they put on that section. And my wife wasn't paying any attention. She knew the strictness. And when she got to the bottom of the hill, he clocked her and pulled out and gave my wife a speeding ticket. Tippy, my African-American friend, also was a friend of the provost marshal, who was an African-American as well. And he said, Chaplain, why didn't you tell me about that ticket? I know the provost marshal. He could have taken care of that ticket and got it torn up and whatever. Now, that's not a reflection on Tippy. He wasn't a believer. Ella was a strong believer, but he was just thinking like an unsaved person. Amen? And now, here's my point. This text says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is justified in forgiving your sin. Now, why is that? He doesn't tear up the ticket. He let his son down the cross and pay the ticket. You see it? 
That's important for us to understand. Confession is one of the primary prayers for us. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Because Jesus pays the ticket to forgive us our sins. And then notice, child of God, what else he says. And he says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, child of God, there's two categories here. One, I know what my sin is. I've got to confess it. But I'm still so much of a dirty, rotten, and stinking sinner. Listen to me. I haven't even comprehended some of the things that I do that are sinful and offensive to God. But when I confess the ones that I'm aware of, what does he do? He cleanses all of them, even the ones I don't know about. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that wonderful? So let's spend... Listen, we need to spend time with the Lord in prayer. And we need to confess our sins. Now, folks, that's five different kinds of prayer. And if we're, look up here, if we're going to have a balanced diet in our prayer ministry, we've got to make double sure we cover all five. Now, I have a stack of missionary letters that I pray for. They come in uh, once a week uh, for me so I can pray for them. And then uh, all the pastors that I pray for, I pray for a pastor and, and uh, for you folks as well. Particular ones out there know I'm praying for you because of um, physical ailments or physical ailments of a, a spouse and so on. I'm praying for them as well. But my point is, In my prayer list, I have all five different prayers listed. After all these years, I can still forget. So I keep them on my prayer list. So every day, I do all five. Amen? Now, folks, that's the five different kinds of prayer. And that's the menu, the balanced diet menu you need for prayer. Now, The second thing that I want you to see here is not only are there five different kinds of prayer that we've got to consciously utilize in our prayer time, but there are also four different kinds of what I call standard operational procedure. That's a military term. SOP, standard operational procedure. Five different principles that we've got to follow. And I want you to see them. Write them down. Five different kinds of prayer with the verses we've discussed. And now four different operational principles. And I'm trying to be conscious of my time and not do too much uh, ladder gagging on any one of them. But here it is. First one. We need to have a personal relationship with God. Now, My passage, and it's one you're familiar with, I want you to turn with me. No, I'm not going to do it. Lack of time. Uh, Write it down. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 23. You'll ask nothing, Jesus says, of me in that day, but you will ask the Father in my name. Name represents the character and the ability uh, of God. And we can offend his name. You see it in Ezekiel, for example, chapter 31 and so on. 
But here it is. We are to pray uh, in the name, in the authority, in the power of God the Son. Now, you have to be a Christian to do that. Okay? Now, you might pray in Jesus' name, but unless, child of God, you are walking with him and know him as your Savior, you're really not praying in Jesus' name. Amen? Everybody with me? Now, there's a second operational principle. Now, this is going to take a little bit longer. And I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Second operational principle. Luke chapter 11. Very, very interesting passage of Scripture along with a companion passage in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 11. And I want you to look at verse 5. And, and write it down. The second operational principle is perseverance. You've got to have a personal relationship with God. John 16 and verse 23. But you also need to practice perseverance, persistence. Now look at, it's two parables that Jesus teaches. And we'll look at the first one here in chapter 11 that talks about Perseverance or uh, persistence in prayer. Verse 5. Notice, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. You've heard this parable. Lend me three loaves. For the friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Here's an unexpected guest. There's no food in the cupboard. Hey, can you help me out, neighbor friend? Give me three loaves of bread. Verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, We might be friends, but buddy, it's too late. That's the idea. Look what he says. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot, no, I won't. Rise up and give it to you. Okay? Now, I understand that. I don't like my nice toasty feet to hit the floor cold. Do you? In the middle of the night, for goodness sake, leave me alone. Now, notice what Jesus says about that. Here's his comment. I say to you, now, this is Jesus talking. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet. Because of his importunity, his persistence, his perseverance, he will give him as many as he needs. Now, here's the picture. Please give me three loaves of bread. No. Please give me three loaves of bread. No. Knock, 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 knock. Please. No. Knock, 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 knock. What is he saying? If you persist, He might not be motivated because he's your friend from next door, but you finally figure out he's not giving up. Perseverance in prayer. I've got a couple of grandkids. Uh, Lord knows I've been praying for them for years. And I may go to my grave praying for them, but I'm not going to give up. Amen? Perseverance in prayer. Now, Luke 18 is another one, and I want you to look at it. 
I'm, I'm looking at my time. I don't want to mess it up. Pastor might fuss at me. He said he wouldn't, but I bet he would. <laughs> Look at chapter 18 now. Same book. Chapter 18. Third principle. Oh, second principle. Luke 18, verse 1. He's speaking a parable again. And what he does many, many times in a parable, he'll tell us the meaning before he ever tells a parable. That's the way it is here. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. Here's the goal. Here's the purpose. That men ought always to pray and not quit. Amen? Now, here it is. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in the city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of my adversary. She's a widow lady. People are taking advantage of her. Lawyer, please help me. And he would not for a while. She doesn't have any money to pay me. Why am I going to work with her? See? But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me. In other words, she keeps coming back. He keeps saying no, and she keeps coming back. Now notice, because he's a widow, troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. Now there's Tally's translation. But you get the point. Amen? Perseverance and prayer. Child of God, we can't quit. We've got to take it before the Lord until he says no. Wait a while or okay. Amen? Now there's a third one. And I want you to look at it. It's in James chapter 1. The last two are in James. These are operational principles, child of God, that we've got to keep reminding ourselves of in the Scripture. James chapter 1, verse 5. Look at what it says. If any of you lack wisdom, now, by the way, that's not wisdom to make A's in college. It's practical wisdom about how to live life according to God's word. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You don't know what to do? Ask God. That giveth to all men liberally, generously. You give it to all men universally, generously, and he upbraideth not graciously. Look at that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and unbraideth, uh, he, uh, unbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Ask. You don't know what to do? Ask. Now, there's something I want you to see in that text. When we talk about an operational principle, here's a good example of how we're supposed to pray. We pray with purpose. I lack wisdom. Okay? Ask God for wisdom. Don't beat around the bush. In fact, God already knows what you need. He knows better than you do. But he wants you to ask him specifically. And if you don't, child of God, you'll never see 
the blessing that comes from praying and seeing God answer. Purposeful prayer is what I call it. First principle, personal relationship with God. Second principle, perseverance in prayer. Third principle, purposeful prayer. Ask for wisdom. Okay? And whatever that need is that you have, this text is saying, pray purposefully. Tell him what you want. Now, the final one's found in this passage as well. Now, look at it. James chapter 1, verse 5 again. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith. You got to get it to a point in your prayer life where you really do believe God hears and answers prayer. So you're praying with faith. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That man can't expect he's going to get anything from God. That's what the text says. So your fourth operational principle, not only is it going to be positive prayer, but it's going to be what I call faith-believing prayer. Everybody with me? Faith-believing prayer. Now, child of God, that's an introduction. There are five different kinds of prayer. There are four operational principles of prayer. And in my prayer list, I mention <clears throat> to remind me of all four of those operational principles and those five different kinds of prayer. Now, folks, I hope you'll take those home, put them with your devotional Bible, so when you have your prayer time, you can go through those and use them and see the benefit. It's been fun for me. I hope it's been informative for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for the opportunity we have today of praying, coming boldly into the throne of grace to, uh, to find grace in time of need. Now, Lord, uh, help your people here today as they're exposed to these concepts to begin to not just understand them, but apply them in their life. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.